So, finishing out the season up here in Alaska. I'm uh, flying Wednesday night. We go to Suite 100 downtown Anchorage here, have our usual dinner and drinks and stuff. And I'm at the bar, and this guy comes up next to me, and he's like, hey, what are you doing up in Alaska? Because he could tell, go figure, that I'm not from up here. So I'm like, oh, we're doing a course, and we're shooting up north and everything by Willow. He's like, oh, yeah, where are you staying and everything? I said, oh, I'm at Sheep Creek. And he goes, I used to own Sheep Creek because everyone in Alaska knows everyone in Alaska. And he goes, I used to own Sheep Creek. So I'm like, well, then you know about the ghost. He's like, what are you talking about, dude? He goes, what cabin was haunted? I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not in the cabin. I'm down below the building. And he goes, oh, well, yeah, okay, who's the ghost? And I said, well, it's Norbert. And he's like, yeah, Norbert's a real guy. And he goes, in those rooms you... Was a real guy. Yeah, was a real guy. He goes, those rooms you were staying in used to be his mudroom and his personal storage space because he was the son of the owner, builder, whatever the case may be, at one time. And so by renovating it and turning them into apartment rooms or whatever you want to call them, you know, uh, hotel rooms, we disturbed Norbert's personal area. The magnetic flow in yep. the joint. And so that's why Norbert is messing with us down in those rooms because those were his rooms. Now, he didn't attribute any strange occurrences to a person named Norbert. He probably had strange occurrences. He just didn't know who to attribute them to. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So First thing he said was when things fall off shelves, we have earthquakes up here. Right. That's, that's what which he is, told me. Yeah, which is cool. But they don't fall over like this and then like this. like your, your In your uh, bag, which yeah, is held bag. too heavy for an earthquake. Yeah, we would yeah, have felt yeah, the yeah. people. Everybody would have talked about the earthquake if it was to move your bag. Yeah. When your bag got thrown off. So, anyway, guys, I'm here in Alaska. I'm heading home tonight. We did our final class. Season's over. I'm sitting down with Mark Taylor. And we're going to give you a little debrief on uh, what we did. I actually learned, I don't know about you, I learned three things or, or, or got reinforced with three specific things, three and a half, I'll, I'll say, but uh, out of this class. And we'll go through and break some of it down, get some feedback. But right off the bat, introduce Mark Taylor. What did you think of the season, the class, and everything we're doing up here in Alaska Precision Rifle? The season grew a little uh, larger than last season. Last, last year we had... Uh, four courses this year. We ran seven, all full at 16 per. So we did 112 students there and about. Um, it just keeps growing up here. Now we're starting to see outside shooters come in, use it as a destination course uh, because we're so self-contained. We've got a lodge. We've got food. We've got drink. We've got great times. We've got bands playing on Saturday Dude, how about that party Saturday, Saturday night? night. It was the a, fireworks it, were insane. Insane, yeah. And that, that all had to do with their anniversary. It's their fourth anniversary of the current owners owning Sheep Creek Lodge. But uh, they include us. They book. We had all of the lo the uh, lodge cabins booked for us. So they're they're including us in their, in their reverie because uh, the year that they got started was the year that we got started up here. Yeah, so the schedule was we did a class on Friday and Saturday. We ended Saturday night or afternoon. The Lodge has their big party on Saturday. Then we get up an hour late on Sunday, a little hungover, hit a little hard this time. We get up Sunday, and then we have a reunion shoot with the past students. So uh, did we ever get a final count? How 43 is what James told me. Yeah, so about 43 of previous students came out. For a fun little alumni shoot. We shoot alongside them. 
you know, we talk about gear, we do all this, and we just hang out, keep the steel up that we use for the course, and we just have a really great time and shoot. And yep. I think that's pretty awesome. Day flows real fast. Um, no competitive spirit at all. All learning. We're still learning. We're learning from them. They're learning from us. But this time, Frank, Norbert followed us to the range. Yes, he did. And was effing with our impacts. Yes, so here's um I've known about it and and I'll talk what it I knew kind of what it was. People think it's light and it is light related when your dope shifts. So I brought my AX308 up. I grabbed the case of prime, get down on the line, and on uh Saturday I doped it to like 700 and then on um Sunday morning I shot it out to the 1000. Well, I'm stacking them at a thousand, and I need twelve point five mils here because it's negative DA, negative fourteen hundred DA this weekend, and I'm stacking them on a sixteen-inch plate. Can't miss. So you know, get a little mirage. I mean, and there you can see it. It's it's the, the it's a gorgeous day. You got to put a schmag over your head. But we're way up in altitude. We're up at sixty-two um, uh, latitude. So basically, we've got sun low in the sky. Right. Low in the sky all day at noon, or it's still low in the sky. So uh, we're going to get some some light uh, problems. And it's right in our face. So I've got my head covered in the schmag. I actually took my Butler Creek and I cut a square in it and closed my caps because I didn't have the sunshade on the rifle. So I closed my caps and I had everything on my head. I'm stacking them at 1,000. I get up. I walk down the line. I'm talking to guys. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Hey, what's happening? Hey, what's up? I lay back down on my rifle 15 minutes later, load a mag up. I go right to a thousand again. I'm a half mil high. I'm like, what the hell? Well, two minutes later, Mike Bender comes up to me and he's like, dude, we're all shooting two, three tenths high. All our dopes off. All our two, three tenths because they're shooting flatter than flatter than the 308. Everybody else has got six fives of some variant. Mark's got six, five, 47. I get down with the 47 and I'm three tenths high. Shooting right over the top of the head. Right. So I'm looking at this Mirage and I'm looking at everything. And, and people say it's light, it's light, it's light. In the Marine Corps, remember we used to um, smooth the, uh, the, the yes, smudge pots. Yes, yes. Smudge pots, your iron sights. Because iron sights are three-dimensional. And light affects a three-dimensional object like your iron sights. But what this is, this is Snell's Law. Snell's Law, S-N-E-L-L. And Mark, tell them what you saw while I pull up the definition so people can understand what I'm talking about. We were getting heavy mirage, um, and it was it was it was way cool. It's 50 degrees out, 40, 45, 50 degrees yep. out. It was too cre- uh, too cool for a great mirage like we were having. So what we had was a lot of atmospheric um, well, uh, humidity. It, yep, humidity. Uh, the air was dense. We're at minus 1400. But once the light, the light was really playing tricks with us because it was right off of uh, uh, about 45 degrees off our right. And, and so everybody's using sunshades. Everybody's climbing under a jacket or under a shamag. And uh, Snell's Law was in effect. Yes. So Snell's Law is used to determine the direction of light waves through a refractive media with varying indices of refraction. The indices of refractions of the media labeled N1, N2, blah, blah, blah. And are used to represent the factor by which the light ray's speed decreases when traveling through a refractive medium such as glass or water as opposed to its velocity in a vacuum. Water vapor in the air. 
okay, heavy water vapor. As the light passes through the border between media, depending upon the relative refraction or ref, uh, refracted properties of the two media, the light will either be refracted to a lesser angle or a greater angle. So I don't see this in Colorado because I don't have water vapor in there. I'm in the high desert. Here, everything's wet, okay? And we got this really bright, no cloud in the sky, low sun coming right in your face. And you can see the water vapor in the air. And it's the pencil in the water. And that's what threw our dope off. My final dope at 1,000 was like 11.5. And that's almost like a full mill as the day progressed on and everything settled back in. But I started off at 12.5 and hit. Came back and had to use 12. Came back again when the angle changed again. And it came behind us to what my dope should have been as calculated by most of my calculators at 11.5. See, 12.5 seems fantastic for a lot of you guys shooting in high altitude, but down here at the uh, sea level, I'm used to 11.4. 11.4 is my every day, go there, want to hit it in the first shot, I'll just dial 11.4, hit it in the first shot. But to you, So to you, this seems fantastic. Right, because I'm like 9.1 at home yeah, exactly, with the same rifle. Exactly, yeah. And that's the difference between my spot at home. I'm 9.1 mils versus... The 11.5, which is where I ended up being when the sun moved behind us and was on the on the backside. Now, we're shooting almost directly due east. Um, just slightly off of that, we're back home. I'm shooting a 290 degree, almost directly west. You know, so it, it, it's almost the same, just opposite angles versus Colorado to here in the direction of this range. So that was a great learning experience for everybody because everybody saw it. The flatter the gunshot, the less it jumped. That the 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 slower the rifle, the three oh eights were all about a half a mil. So really, what it comes down to is you're looking at a target and it's not there. Yeah, it's a little bit lower than what you think you were looking at. Yeah, through yeah, your scope. Totally, it's, it was bizarre. So that's that's what people see when this uh when when that phenomenon happens. If you're in a high humidity spot, that's what we're looking at. A um, couple other things. Let's talk, like, jump right into this again. I know we mentioned this before, but we're reinforcing it now. Let's talk bipods. Because this is getting big, dude. We're seeing it on such a level that, I mean, even now, I could see it at 100 yards with this canting and what they're doing wrong. Um, we took we took bipods out of the presentation in a great form. We just touched on them in the presentation. And what we did was when we got to the line, we pulled out a hip pocket lesson plan basically, and we schooled the bipods with three different classes of bipods, not classes, but but three different kinds of bipods on the line. Yep, we had the Harris, the Atlas, and then the Elite Iron Revolution, yep. and we demoed and showed this, but we had guys who were fundamentally good that we felt weren't shooting to their equipment's capability on paper at 100 yards, and what we did is we swapped bipods on them. Yep. And you could talk about that. You saw that stuff. Well, we've, we've talked it out before. And, and if you're a regular listener, you've heard it before. But if you're shooting a, uh, an MOA or MOA a quarter and a half, and you think, I'm better than this. My rifle's better than this. Well, maybe your equipment, like, your, like Harris, your bipod, yeah, it's letting you down. The you know? Harris's aren't concentric. They're junk stamp metal. They got springs in the feet. They're just, they're the lowest common denominator, and they're not supporting what we're doing properly 
in the context of how we're shooting it prone-wise. That's why F-Class people have a really wide bipod. I need my I need my equipment to match my fundamentals, Frank. Yeah. And we hammer the fundamentals here. So we can hammer the fundamentals as much as we like. But if your equipment is going to let you down and we can't discern your fundamentals from your equipment, we'll change your equipment. We've done, we're, we're done changing your fundamentals on day two. We've got you locked in. Now, if you're still failing us, we go to your equipment. Dude, go to Sniper's Hide. Um, I'm going to talk about Jim a tell, second. Yeah, tell him about the sugar daddy. Yeah, we got it. it was Jim B. So Jim Jim Bacuzzi, um, he was a, a student of mine down at Rifles Only. I've known him since 2006. He ha uh, works up here in Alaska. And when he's up here and we're up here, he comes to our class. And Jim takes hundreds of photos. He just today posted two giant threads on Sniper's Hide in the training section. He did the training class and the alumni. Look at those pictures. Those pictures tell a story. Look at what you're looking at with Mark and I tweaking fundamentals, tweaking fundamentals. So Jim's been through this. Jim's got great equipment. He uses Jared Joplin, or I think he's Jared Joplin APA stuff. Great rifle, Schmidt and Bender 5 to 20, the whole thing. And he's not really grouping well. And it's like his pattern is a little odd. Well, the first thing I notice is on the eval target, he's got a, a zero trigger control problem, but he's vertically strung, okay? He has this group where they're all touching. They're about an inch vertically strung. What did we see when we got in on him? First of all, he comes to me and he says, all right, give me the bipod. So he breaks out his checkbook, writes me a $600 check for a rev, uh, Revolution bipod. We put it on his rifle. He hates it. You know why he hates it? Because he can't muscle it like he can muscle his right. Harris bipod. He can't push it, draw it back. He can't allow it to draw to him, push it back. So so he he hates it. He brings it back and, and goes, Mark, I just can't get used to this right now. I want to shoot good today and I can't get used to this right now. Okay, put your piece of shit bipod back on. But he was frustrated on. and I'll but, tell but, you why. But, here, but we got to the source of his frustration and pick that up, Frank. Yeah, but first we saw him breathing. He was, remember yeah, when yeah, Chet, yeah, it was yeah. uh, Mark, Chet, and I, Chet's the other instructor we have here, um, and we noticed he's breathing, and he's breathing erratically like he's swimming, and we're like, Jim, your breathing's all messed up, that's why you're stringing vertically, so we clean that up, we go through the bipod thing, and he comes over to me, after he gives the bipod back, he's like, Frank, I'm just not happy, this isn't going, this, my, my groups aren't where I think they should be, Jim, let me shoot your rifle, when you go look in those pictures he took, I'm on students' rifles. I shoot their rifles. I shoot alongside my students. I jumped in on Saturday afternoon with them when we do that hour free-for-all. I'm laying down right next to you shooting, okay? I get on his rifle, and I shoot it. My group is half the size of his, but it's not good. He was about a three-quarter inch group. I was, a, you know, about a half minute, in, or give or take, but the pattern was the same. They looked identical, just smaller. So now I said to him, I said, dude, I know what your problem is. Take that can off. He had a suppressor. He had a 12-year-old SWR suppressor. It's my suppressor. I've had it for 12 years. I got my suppressor. I said, Jim, take it off right now. I go to my AX. I have a Sully Arms Precision Rifle Suppressor. Say that again. Precision Rifle Suppressor. You mean it's not a battle suppressor? No, it's not a fucking battlefield suppressor. It's a Precision Rifle Suppressor. I put my suppressor on his gun. 
I said, Jim, shoot a group. Guess how big his group was? Tell me. Quarter minute. Yep. Quarter minute. Shoot another group, Jim. Quarter minute. What the hell, Frank? I've had this suppressor for 12 years. This has been my suppressor. I would have never known this is my problem. I pull it off. I look at it. Yep, it's got those keys done through it, the whole thing. Everybody who sells you a suppressor tells you how loud it is or how quiet it is, you know, or how light it is. Who cares? But if it doesn't match your precision... Mm-hmm. What good is it really? Right. I mean, you you got you deal with suppressors. You're one of the biggest suppressor dealers in the state. I might be the biggest suppressor dealer in the state. Who do you sell? Thunderbeast Arms. Who else? Mostly Thunderbeast Arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unless somebody else buys yeah, it. I, I, I'll, I'll allow you to buy whatever you want, and I won't really talk you out of anything. I'll allow you to purchase, but if you'll listen to me, I'll tell you Thunderbeast Arms, and you'll forever be happy. It's the gold standard in a precision rifle suppressor. So here... We're seeing this bipod thing. We checked out Snell's law, and we're showing people how your equipment matters. You got accuracy and precision, right? And part of it is controlled by how you manage your data. How accurate can you be based on your data? How precise is how well you shoot? Okay, that's that's your fundamentals of marksmanship. Well, your weapon system controls both of those. You're the precision guy. The accuracy is your ability to interpret your data, but your rifle has an influence on both. You it's, know, the, it's the mechanical problem. Yeah. The rifle is the mechanical problem. You are the physical problem, and the rifle is the mechanical problem. And mechanical talk, problems can be fixed. And talk about it. We saw mechanical. Physical problems can be fixed. There are people, Frank, with no legs and one arm who shoot very well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know somebody. I like know somebody that. just yeah, you like know that. Somebody just no like legs, that. one arm, yeah. fucking shoots hot, house of fire. Okay. But but if he, without if you take out mechanical problems, he can shoot. But yeah. if you've got a weakness in your system, it's not going to happen. And what mechanical did we have to fix, which we're telling you all the time and people still don't get through their heads? Uh, it was a um, uh, rifle comes with a bumper sticker. What, it's, a, <laughs> it's got an Indian head on it. I think it's a Savage. 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 And you know what? It's the exact same rifle and model we had in our August class with Mike from Mile High. And guess what happened? The rail fell off. The well, ra- the rail the rail the came loose. Rail came loose. Yeah. So we had one come loose in August. We had one come loose now. And, and my, my buddy from Bowman Arms, right. Fairbanks, Alaska, says they had one come loose on them up there. Yep. So. Walks over and said the same thing happened to us. Yep. There's a clue here, guys. There is a clue that this stuff, I mean, we talk about this stuff and people, ah, oh, that's just Frank saying this. That's Frank plugging that. This is what we're seeing and we're trying to save you the issue of having to buy another rifle. I get it. I get that. Here's what I get. Guy wants into our world. Not you or my world, Frank, because that would be horrifying. <laughs> but basically, a guy wants into the precision rifle world, but he's not made of money. And and he's not sponsored. He just wants in. Well, somebody talks him into that shiny black savage up there on the, on the shelf. And I get it. Eight, nine, seven out of ten savages will shoot. Okay, but if you're the one stuck with 30% wrong, what what things in your life will you accept a 30% failure rate with, Frank? Yeah, you know? not much. I mean, I, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know the number. I don't know the number. Right. Don't pin me down. And I'm not trying to, uh, to dog a specific company. The problem is we see the same problems over and over with certain equipment. Yeah, and, and here's, here's my recommendation. You, you, you're hell-bent on buying that? No problem, dude. Buy it. When you get home, take it apart. Put it back together correctly, 
and then take it out and shoot it. Yep. Now Lock the, tight your base. Now the loose loose screws are on you. Right. Lock tight your base. You know, do all that work. Make sure it's torqued properly. Everything's up. I mean, one of the first things you did when you realized the guy bought the Savage is you changed the stock out. You had him put a, a PRS stock on it. Yep. Because he had that skeleton. On the, on the rear. On the, on the rear. On the back. Yeah, yeah. You know, it has that buffer tube and you can put it in. We're shooting prone here, guys. Everybody knocks prone. Oh, it's too easy. It's too boring. We want to get up off our bellies. We're off the belly shooters. We're across the course shooters. We're this, we're that. But you don't know how to shoot prone yet. So where are you? Where are you, right. where are you really? Yeah. Okay, so what we do is we do a lot of prone shooting here. And if a guy can't figure it out in prone, how the hell is he going to figure it out from a standing position behind a tripod? And, and I'm going to go back to the bipod and the canting thing because now I'm focused in on it and I'm seeing it and seeing it so much that I've got it nailed down. Number one, the can't problem is in your bipod. Because here's what happens. Even if you got to level it, you just bought a $150 level, you love it, okay? Everybody says you got to have a level to shoot well. Okay, cool. Here's exactly what they do. They, they, they set the rifle up on the target. Their bipod is too loose, number one, because they got a Harris without a pod lock. And they can't tighten it down because you barely get your Leatherman on it. And even if you crank it as much as you can, it's still too loose. So they point the rifle to the target. They get in. They get their first shot. They check their level. And they go, oh, look, I just looked at my level and I'm off. So they straighten the rifle out. They fire shot one. Now, they're not holding the back of the rifle, number one. Their fundamentals suck. They take their hand off the rifle. They're only holding the rear bag. They take their hand off the pistol grip or whatever they have, the stock. To run the bolt. To run the bolt. And they pull the rifle over. And what goes with it? Their head. They roll their head over just a little bit. Now, it takes about three degrees before people notice a can't. So, they go one degree. They shoot the next shot. They go two degree. They shoot the next shot. Now they might see it. They push it back straight. They shoot another shot. They pushed it over again. And they shoot their fifth shot. I can now see it on paper. And I'm kind of bummed. I wish I took a picture of it. I had a guy's group in class. Was a perfect half moon touching. A perfect half moon as he rolled over, it rolled over to the right and went right and down, just like they say in the books. But his level did nothing. How many guys with levels do you see using them properly? Well, if using them properly means they are leveled up between two black marks, very few of them. Right. Yep. They're taking the time to put the level on, but they're not taking the time to utilize it. If you're gonna if you're gonna wear it, I'm gonna call you on it. And what they're doing is just not I think they'd be better off without it. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Fix the bipod issue. Number one, get away from the Harris. I mean, unless you're running gun and you're going to just drop down. If you're shooting a PRS event, you're barely using your bipod anyway. You know what I mean? It yep. may not be that big deal. You got a, a, a bunch of steel. You're doing alternate speed and all that. I get it. They can deploy it fast. They'll put this 550 cord string on it. I can pull it down. I can flop on top of my rifle. I fire off two shots. I'm off to the next target. Blah, 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 blah. No big deal. But if you're going to turn or hone in on precision, you want to make these shots count and work. I was shooting down where Jim was on that curve. because the same a, spot. Right, in the same spot. My elite iron, because I had elite iron on my AX, they're notch different. 
to level myself to the world. I look at it and I look at the world. I level everything up. I tighten the bipod. It does not move because it has those notches in it. I can adjust the feet and do everything I have to do. I'm not fighting level between shots. Because the bipod is fixing that problem. So once I look at it, I level it, I remain level. It's a measure of loss of control, Frank. You yep. have to give up control. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of control because the bipod's gonna fix that for you. It's got your back. Yeah, it does. And 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 the thing is, people aren't canting on the first shot. They're canting on the second, third, fourth, and they're I think of it, they're not canting on the first or fifth shot. They're canting on two, three, and four. I can now see it in the groups at 100 yards. We've done it enough. I've shot enough on paper. I know who's pushing their scopes over and what it looks like, and I could see it. I had a guy on a big hunting rifle at 1,000 yards on the big plate that's out there. He hits the first shot. 308 hunting rifle shooting surplus ammo. He hits the first shot. He had it every day, every you, time. Wait a minute. When you say surplus, you mean what? Like 1977 <laughs> Lake City it, Was it stamped 77? Seven, yes. And I'm asking these questions. I obviously know corroded. what he's shooting. <laughs> it was corroded. What, what happened? Well, I said, this is the most horrible looking ammunition I've ever seen, and I would never put it in my chamber. And that sort of, I think, turned the guy off a little bit. But we just call it like we see it. Yeah. That's it. We're calling balls and strikes, man, yeah. and we tend to hurt feelings every now and then. Well, he gets he gets his first round hit. Then he's off the left, off the left. He's a left-handed shooter. He he had a tendency to push hard on his cheek to the left. His bipod didn't hold, and of course he went over. Hey man, fix your le- can't. You're off because you went off the left. The wind's coming from the left, and he's off the left. Hey man, you're off. Fix it. He shoots again. He didn't fix it. He's like not listening. I come over. I straighten him out, and I said this is level. He shoots the next round. He hits right dead in line with his first one, but. Then he starts pushing. Then he pushes again. You know what I mean? And and that's what we see where a 48-inch plate, this guy can miss by pushing his rifle over with a cheek because the Harris is too loose. And that's what we're trying to fix. No form of bubble level is going to help that guy because he's not paying attention once he gets in the zone of shooting the next shots. It will help him on the first shot. It might help him when he notices it's off on his third or fourth shot, but it is not helping him between his strings. And that's what I got to say about that. So we've been teasing. All right, so transitioning from that, we want to go into the rear bag and the rear support on the rifle because this is the other point of failure. When that hand comes off to run the bolt, you got to support the rear of the rifle, and we see a lot of guys struggle with rear bags. So I'll let Mark go into Probably some... one of the most popular bags is the Tab Gear rear bag, and it's rectangular in Good. shape. They right. make a small one, they make a large one. Guy will come in and go, $35, I'll take the large one and, and cover all instances with it. Well, on level um, on level ground or shooting at longer ranges, a lot of times that re- large rear bag is a little bit too much for him. Now he's folding it over. Yep. He's resting his hand on the bag and not grasping the firearm. So, so there's just a lot of sloppiness in there, Frank. So what I do is, is, is I'm not cheap. I take a small rear bag and a large rear bag to the line, and I'll let the situation dictate which bag I'm going to utilize. Yeah. But I'm going to, in some measure, with pincer, pincer grasp, you know, uh, thumb and forefinger, 
I'm going to control my rifle in some way, not just let it rest on a rear bag. Yeah, I mean, with the skeletonized stocks, the beauty of it is you can slide your hand in that rear bag, and then all you have to do is throw your thumb over the, the, the skeletonized stock to support it and hold it, not only in the shoulder pocket, but to keep it from canting over when you run the bolt. That's where the cants come into play when these guys run the bolt. So hold the back of the stock, manipulate the bag with your three graspers, and hold the rifle with your two pincers. And we see that, you know, we see that it fixes a lot of problems. I mean, again, go to Sniper's Hide, go in the forum, look at the pictures. The pictures are telling a story of how we are working with each student individually. There's, there's a majority of pictures you don't see Mark and Frank behind the line on glass just letting a guy touch a piece of steel. We make sure they get repeatable. It, tell them the, 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 the tagline. Uh, predictable, repeatable, precision, and accuracy. There you go. Predictable, repeatable, precision, and accuracy. That's what we're looking for. And, you know, and, and that's what we're trying to build with these marksmen. Now, granted, Mark said we're, talk, we're shooting prone. We're not just shooting prone because we have hunters here. I mean, look at, you know, what Tim Silver's come in and he was talking. He's, and, the, he's the most, uh, he's got to be the poster child for, for coming from uh, very low skill to very high skill in such a short period of time. Yeah. It took me a couple of years to get him into the course. Uh, he's a budget guy, you know, he's a budget yeah. guy. And and basically he does everything on a budget because he's got kids and his family is a priority. He's a religious guy and, it's, you know, that's a priority to him. So he comes at it too slow. In, in, in slow movement, but but he is lights out shooter now because he ascribes to the fundamentals that we taught him. Yep. And he's been and, to PR one and two. Yep. And, and two, and, and he's the one we did all the alternate positions for the hunting stuff. He had a hunting style rifle. We worked on PR two. PR two is off your belly. Okay. All PR two is the fundamentals off your belly. That's all. We, we bring the logs out. We bring the little, you know, Bruce Lee Christmas tree out. We have the barricades they built. Bryson built a real nice barricade. Yes, I saw it. And, and it's the two-sided barricade, so one side's tall, one side's short. Works for all people. I don't have to wear high heels to reach the top because there's a, 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 a ledge that's my height that I can use. you know. But Bryson built a hell of a barricade because these guys are having a match next week. Uh, some of our students have gotten together and have organized a match. So they're going to be doing a little bit of that stuff next week. But look at the pictures. Look at what we're doing. We're doing it different than other people. And hey, hey, thanks to Sugar Daddy, man, because a lot of the time he paid to come to the course. He comes to the course. He said not only one time. He pays every year to come to the course. Right. But basically, then he he has his little fun with his with his rifle. Then he gets up and he he wants to take pictures, and he gets some really good shots. Yeah, he's yeah. in there and he's watching. I mean, we don't even know he's there half yeah. the time. He's watching us work and he's documenting. One of the things I like is he's got during the fundamental eval when that guy had the um and I won't say his name or, or whatever um and out him that way but he 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 was trying to shoot a semi auto with his hand off the grip because he didn't want to touch the trigger and disturb it fingertips on the grip yeah that was it he was kind of trying to do just a little fingertip standoff and the rifle was getting away and there's a before and an after picture of his grip on the semi auto. And it was night and day difference for him. In his shooting. Yeah. In his accuracy and his shooting. His semi-auto was now capable. I got every student but that one hunting rifle on at a 12-inch plate at 1,000 yards. And I don't, and they, they weren't dumping mags. 
I make sure they get a minimum of three hits. We never end on a miss. A lot of guys first round hit it, but every student I went down the line with, we went straight to that 12-inch plate, and they were all within two, three rounds on it, on it, on it. And then I made sure they got three solid hits at a minimum, backed it up, and never ended on a miss. Yep. And, it, it, you know, there was bigger plates out there. There's a 16-inch round. There's that 48. There's a bunch of other stuff. But we're not doing these giant targets. There are some that help us at certain yard lines, but we're fine-tuning. You know what I mean? So, no, that's cool. Go ahead. I think you're, you're – where you need to improve, Frank, is in your fundamentals with respect to alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think you slipped a little bit this this time. Frank's usually the conservative. I have a couple. He'll nurse a drink in front of the students and whatnot. Well, there was this big party this time. And this is we, every one of our courses is a social event. It's, sure, it's a learning environment. But when we get back to Lodge, all bets are off. You're never going to stop Frank from talking. He's going to talk shooting through the whole freaking party. But basically, it turns into a social event. Some reason... Frank was on fire this weekend, and two nights, uh, not two nights in a row, but two nights, he got all tore up. Came to, I heard him come stumble in his room late, and basically uh, six shots of fireball, Frank. Dude, I mean, don't you think that's a little bit? Six. I mean, that's but crazy talk. You know what the worst part was? Six shots of fireball, where the first one was like at midnight. Yeah, that's 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 like the four, the fifteen year old kid who finds that bottle, yeah. and he's gonna hit it, and now that becomes his favorite drink. Well, because the the, um, the bartender at Sheep Creek, so I I. I oh, I got to We're standing outside by a fire. All of our shooters, like 30, 35, 40 uh, shooters standing out there. We're all drinking. Girl comes out, and, and she's a newer newer host or a newer server. And it's like, what was your – I said, what was your name again? She goes, Sheena. I said, yeah, remember Frank? She goes, oh, yeah, I heard about Frank. And I'm like, whoa! Oh, wait, whoa. <laughs> wait a minute. And she runs off yeah. like a squirrel, man, just runs off. And so she comes back later. Go ahead. So I go in and it will. I got to tell Jeff. So we had four Jeffs in the class. Yeah. So I can't and have two mics. Yeah. Four Jeffs, two mics. I can't have four Jeffs in the class. So I'm like, there's no friggin' way. First day in the class, I go, we got four Jeffs in the class. This ain't happening. And a Todd. And a Todd. No, not Todd. We named him not Todd. Not Todd. Yeah. I called him not Todd every time. Um, So this one Jeff has a birthmark down the right side of his temple on his face. The so red I, red birth. Red, yeah, red birth bloodstained birth. Right. So I said, all right, your name's Gorbachev. <laughs> like like Gorbachev. Yes, Gorbachev, but Gorbachev. He liked it. Yeah, he was digging I think it. he's gonna utilize it. So me yeah. and him start drinking and he wants to start doing shots. So I'm like, fireball man, let's go. I can go with some wow. candy. Wow. So I go in to the lodge to get the shots. Yeah. yeah. So I go in, get the shots, and there's somebody there. So I said, I'm going to do a shot with them. I do a shot with them because I buy this other person a shot. While the other shot's coming. While the other shots are coming. So then I had to replace the shot that I drank with the person in the lodge so I could drink the shots with the guy outside the lodge. So that started the ball rolling. So two nights in a row, I started drinking way too late. Instead of nursing early. And uh, yeah, uh, as you could tell in my voice, I'm a little ah horse right now. But it was all good. It was good fun. Now, but all I'm saying is this is a destination place, man. This is fun. Uh, you know, we're, we're all at the lodge together. We're all, I mean, Gorbachev was ringing the bell and buying everybody drinks. You know, we're closing the bar those two nights. And, and we're just having a really, really good time. 
This, I think the classes, I, this was a brand new PowerPoint for these guys up here. I redid the PowerPoint. I, 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 I tightened it up. I'm, I'm streamlining it. We're getting them on the line quicker. We're taking a little extra time with their fundamentals. That's paying off on steel. We don't have any of the struggles we used to. I will throw a shout out to your wing target. Your wing targets you came up with, the ones yep. you did. Yep. He, he did a target. Born and conceived in the Wiggy van. Yep. We've caught a couple of elevation hits with windage misses with the wing. Which are hard to spot. It's, right. Yep. And, and and because we have that, uh, we have no dirt behind. The, the targets are high in the air, we've mentioned before. So we, with these wings on, on the hard to spot areas, we are catching windage misses, but elevation hits. Yep. So that's a cool thing that we got going on. I'm seeing the equipment has come a long way and the caliber of student has come a long way. Now we're up to 360 students. We taught 112 this year. We're up to 360 students that we've taught up here. I think they're talking to each other. Uh, equipment is being purchased and and uh, fundamentals are being transferred because we're, we're noticing uh, the caliber of student is getting better and better every mm -hmm. year. And it's the same thing we saw down in the lower 48. When everybody started coming to the rifles only, the competition started picking up, the level of shooter got better. But that doesn't mean you can't improve on those fundamentals because yeah. just like we said early on, I'm still learning stuff, Mark's still learning stuff, and, and, and we're taking that and we're, we're cutting out the middleman for you guys. Yeah. We're your trial and error now, and, and we're able to fix these problems, Johnny, on the spot. Get a hold of me. Get yourself uh, uh we'll get you the dates. Get a hold of me by in one way or another through Wiggy the hide. Alaska, do plug yourself here. Uh, well, I no, it's 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 Alaska Precision Rifle Course, one word, at Gmail. Yeah. Alaska Precision Rifle Course at Gmail. Get a hold of me. I'll give you the specifics. I've got a uh I've got a couple of uh, sheets that I send out that'll get you the specifics. I'll give you the dates. Get yourself a, uh, a seat to Alaska. Uh, We're already 80%. We got 80 students. I got 80 students for next year already. We're probably going to 150 or so. Right. Because I'm adding three courses. We're going to do 10 courses. One of them is going to be dedicated law, uh, law enforcement. Then we're going to do two PR2s instead of one. Right. Because the demand is there. Yep, the demand's there. All right, so before we end this and get off, I got to go on, on a sad note here, and I'm going to let Mark talk about that. Um, Alaska, man, Alaska's dangerous. Yeah, I, I wrote, I've written a couple books called uh, Hunting Hard in Alaska. I've sort of let them peter out. I don't think you can find them on Amazon anymore. But basically, I said Alaska's trying to kill you from the moment you get off the plane. I mean, it's really tragic here. Everyone owns a, a, a an aircraft of some kind, and they do a lot of flying. But this uh, during our three days of uh, instruction party, we lost a student who was a very Notable member of the community here. His name was Josh Peppard. He died in a helicopter crash this weekend. And um, and I think he lost a, a child, a kid. One of his kids was recovered. Another pilot in the helicopter was lost as well. But he owned a company called Davis Constructors. And he purchased a class just for, he came through two years ago, mm -hmm. brought three friends. Yep. One uh, musclehead uh, uh, money guy yep. and, and, a, uh, and a police officer. Yep. And a police officer. They had a phenomenal time. He, he On his way out, he said, I want to purchase a class for my people. And he bought a 16-man class just for Davis Constructors. They came through this year in July. Yep, July. And had a blast. The hunting rifle class we talked about in the podcast those were his people. Yeah, yeah. And, but anyway, we're going to miss Josh. Uh, just just give him a thought. 
and and a thought for his family. He was a God fearing, God loving man, and uh, a pillar of the community. During the reunion, tell what you did with the reunion. We did a twenty one gun salute. Yeah. Uh, on the first thing on the reunion shoot, I said, guys. Uh, seven guys line up three rounds. Yep, seven guys, three rounds. It's all on video. It's on uh, Alaska Precision Rifle Course on Facebook. Join the page. You can stay in touch with us there. But uh, hey, Josh, we miss you, man. And and uh, gosh, you know, life's 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 precious. You got to enjoy every moment. Yep, yep, definitely. But thanks for listening, guys. And um, hey, we're we're gonna cut it and, and go here. I'm flying home tonight. And I'll be back uh, Friday. I got class with Mike Menchaca, Mile High's final class for the season. So I'm wrapping it all up this week. Thank you guys for listening. It's been awesome. Taylor out.